0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. More and more people in Ontario are contracting the Kraken. There are growing calls to reform our bail system. The federal conservatives widened their lead. Hamilton set to host the Prime Minister's Cabinet Retreat. After a very successful off-Broadway run in NYC, Hiprov, Improv Under Hypnosis is coming to Canada. And a Hamilton Company is a finalist in the second annual Ontario Made Awards. We'll tell you all about it next on the GMH podcast, Starting now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Well, if you're a hockey fan, you will probably know that the newest team in the National Hockey League is called the Seattle Kraken. But in no way is it associated with the latest COVID-19 subvariant, a variant of Omicron known as XBB15 or more commonly known as Kraken. In fact, the World Health Organization says Kraken is the most transmissible subvariant yet. Uh, should we be worried about this? Thomas Tenkate is a professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Thomas, good morning. How are you? Uh, good, thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. So within a week, the Kraken was found in uh, 2% of COVID patients in Ontario. It jumped to 22% in a week. Should we be worried about this Kraken?
2: yeah it's an interesting name uh i think we 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 should be cautious and uh and keep you know very much keep an eye on it but but i think what it's you know highlighting is that the uh, you know as as we go through the pandemic and the pandemic has really moved into the endemic phase now where it's really just you know part of life for us the 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 uh the, the virus keeps mutating and, uh, and, and as it keeps mutating, it, it tends, that viruses will tend to mutate into more easily transmitted uh, versions of themselves. And so, so, so it's not unexpected that we're, we're, you know, this is what we have now and, you know, and it'll continue to be like this. But, uh, but what it means is that the more, the more cases that we have, uh, the like, there's likelihood of more hospitalizations. See, even if, even though this isn't, uh, Identified as uh, causing more severe uh, illness, uh, just because you because of the sheer number of more cases, it means that proportionally you would expect more people end up going to hospital because they because of just that proportion of, of numbers. So, so, so it is something to you know we have to be mindful of, but but it uh, you know it means that uh, you know it's it's not unexpected based on the time course of the way 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 these things. these operate.
0: Some of the research that I've done, most of the doctors are pointing to the contagiousness of this uh, subvariant is because it's able to attach itself a little easier than other strains to the receptors uh, in our body. And and my guess is, you know, future variants, and we've kind of seen this along the line in the the history of COVID-19, future variants are going to continue to be more transmissible than the next because at the end of the day, this virus wants to live as long as it can.
2: Yeah, yes, that's, that's correct. It, yeah, basically, if you think about it from the virus's perspective, you know, it, it wants to keep living and the way it keeps living is by uh, being able to keep being transmitted to as many people as possible, but but also if it makes people too sick, then, you know, they stay at home and then they're not ara- able to transmit it to other people. So so basically its, it's idea is it wants to be uh, as easily transmitted as possible while making people sort of, uh, you know, not not too sick so that they don't sort of stay home and they're not circulating in the community. The question is, though, and obviously there's a lot more questions, but one regarding the workplace
0: is that, you know, many companies are still asking their employees who do test positive to stay home for a day or two or maybe more, depending on their symptoms, which obviously
2: causes some impact. Uh, yeah, definitely. The, uh, you know, I think, you know, we, you know, like like any other sort of respiratory virus if if you are sick you really should stay home and should stay home uh you know for for a, you know, a couple of days until till symptoms ease up a bit but uh that then puts pressure on on the workplace and and particularly in terms of uh you know whether or not have people have sick leave and and are able to uh you know have paid sick leave and 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 so so that's definitely uh i think been a long standing issue that the uh the pandemic has highlighted is that often people who Uh, most vulnerable and and also often you know what we saw was people who were at the front line particularly in terms of uh being uh working at supermarkets and and other other you know facilities often didn't have the same uh sort of protections in terms of uh of of uh paid sick leave as as you know other other people who are who uh have have better pay and conditions. And so, so that's definitely, you know, an ongoing issue that's been highlighted with with the the pandemic is is that aspect of really the the benefit for the broader community. And, uh, and really, you know, paid sick leave is is in essence, a, a public health measure.
0: Thomas Kate is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Thomas is a professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. Another question is, and I'm not sure if you have any anecdotal or real hard evidence on this, is the latest vaccine formula. Is it is it going to keep us protected from getting this?
2: Uh, well, I suppose, yeah, the, the, the easy answer is that it's probably too soon to know. But uh, what what uh, you know, what I've read and uh, about this is that people, you know, that the more people who are more expert than i are uh, sort of are saying that they f- expect that the current vaccines to be you know as effective for this variant as they were for the the previous variants and and they're also expecting the the uh the the various treatments such as Paxlo- paxlovid to also be as effective as they were for the others so so i suppose you know what it means is our 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 pre- prevention and and treatment measures are uh, sort of still there, that they're, they're still working as, as effectively as they have, uh, you know, until we until we see, you know, diff- different data about that.
0: We've only got about a minute. Do you foresee anytime soon more of the plastic barriers that we encounter at business places from coming down, or, or are those going to stay up for a while? I mean, we're almost three years into this thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I must admit, uh, it, it is interesting. Like, I, I, I was on the... Uh, the UP Express train to, to the airport recently and, and their, their barriers are still up between all the seats. And, and I think, you know, a lot of uh, workplaces will, you know, that'll be something that, uh, depending on the nature of the workplace, will 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 you know some workplaces will keep them up for an extended period of time, and others will will be taking them down soon. So, but I think if if possible, you know, from a measure prevention measure, it I think it's a it's a fair thing to keep up if if you can. But if uh, if it's uh, disruptive to the work work environment, then then I think you know we're really in a situation that uh, it's it's you know just like the flu uh, and and other viruses that we, we're just having to start to learn to live with it, I think. Professor Kate, always a pleasure speaking with you. Enjoy your day and your
0: weekend as well. Yes, you too, Rick. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. That's uh, Thomas Kate, Professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The debate
0: over bail reform is growing louder and louder following the tragic shooting death of an OPP officer in Hagersville last month and other high-profile crimes allegedly committed by people out on bail. Our next guest has written a really interesting article on theconversation.com titled Five Ways to Reform Canada's Bail System to Benefit Both the Public and the Accused. Carolyn Huell is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at the University of Guelph. Carolyn, good morning. How are you today?
3: I'm very well. Good morning.
0: Before we speak on your ideas on bail reform, can you perhaps offer a quick explanation on how bail works in Canada?
3: Yes, sure, absolutely. Uh, so, in Canada, the, the goal of bail is really to balance the rights of the accused, which uh, involves uh, adhering to the presumption of innocence, but also um, very much taking into account public safety and ensuring that we have confidence in the administration of justice.
0: So you've offered, so at the
3: bails. Sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say you, you've offered five ways to reform this system, and one of those ways is to have these bail decisions come down in a timely manner.
3: Yes. One of the challenges currently uh, facing the criminal justice system at the bail stage is that it's taking a long time for uh, cases to reach final disposition. So that has two uh, negative consequences. The first is that it really increases the likelihood that you're going to have accused um, who are out in the community on bail accruing additional charges, often for non-criminal behaviour. Um, if they're breaching conditions. So this might mean that they're too close to uh, a particular store, for example, that they're not supposed to be by. And, you know, the more uh, of these charges that are accrued, you sort of set up this revolving door of justice, which, which bogs down the criminal justice system. And it's particularly concerning if these are for relatively minor crimes. Another advantage to a timely bail decision is that you would... Have people um, serve sentences more quickly if they are, in fact, um, convicted of the of the crime of which they're confused, uh, accused.
0: Another suggestion is that once these individuals are out on bail, they need proper access to some resources like mental health, uh, substance abuse, addiction, um, whatever the, the, the um, issue that they are dealing with, struggling with, they need access to that.
3: Absolutely. And these are sort of major issues. And the solution here really lies and falls outside of the criminal justice system. I've just, along with a colleague, interviewed over 30 bail supervisors in Ontario. And, you know, the one thing that they emphasize over and over again is the housing crisis. It's very, very difficult uh, to abide by bail conditions where you don't know where you're going to sleep at night. We also have issues with not enough beds at rehabilitation centers for people who have active addictions. Uh, So if if you have somebody on bail uh, who has an addiction problem and they decide that they're ready to deal with that problem, you know, they're told they need to wait months close to a year in order to access um, the help that they're asking for. So these are big problems.
0: uh, Absolutely. We have a couple more minutes with Carolyn Ewell, Assistant Professor, Department of Sociology and Anthropology at the University of Guelph, offering five ways to reform Canada's bail system. Another is uh, having more funding to improve bail supervision. That is obviously lacking. There's also better interagency communication, which is clearly needed. And also systemic collection of bail stats. How would that help?
3: Okay, so this is really, really important. If you're going to have evidence-based responses, you need to have good data. And we simply do not have good data about bail in in Canada. So, for example, we need to know how long are people in bail? What kinds of conditions are they getting? When they breach, how many times do they breach? What are the nature of these breaches? Very rarely are they for new violent offences, and they're much more likely to be sort of failure to complies. And then what happens following a breach? Uh, when when accused return to the courts, and something else that I think we really have to think about at bail is what is the average length of time that an accused is free in the community after they've breached and there's been a bench warrant uh, issued for their arrest, and we've seen this in a couple of the high-profile cases where accused on bail have breached, but they've remained at large in the community for months. Um, And this is really an implementation, uh, you know, a failure at the implementation and enforcement of bail.
0: We only have about 30 seconds. Uh, There's obviously a lot of conversation about reforming bail. Are we any closer to actually seeing any action?
3: Well, I think it's wonderful that Mr. Polyev and the premiers are asking for a review of the bail system because it provides a really good opportunity to look at the problems that do exist and to work towards solutions. So, To that point, I think we are getting closer uh, to making some of the important changes that we do need to implement um, with, with bail. Not so much with the law on bail itself, but how we see it implemented.
0: Well, it is clear that we need a better system when it comes. That remains to be seen. Carolyn, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy your day and your weekend.
3: Thanks so much. Take
0: care. You That's Assistant Professor Carolyn Ewell in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at the University of Guelph.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I've had some great conversations with a number of premiers, including Premier Ford, and Premier Mo has been working very, very hard, uh, uh, as well as part of a small group uh, looking at improving uh, health care across the country. And I can say uh, we're all very much on the same page. There is a need for more money. There is a need... uh, for more delivery of results uh, for families. Well, if a
0: federal election were held today, that guy might no longer be in power. That's according to a new poll by Nanos Research that shows the federal conservatives could be well positioned to win if an election were held today. Pierre Poliev's conservatives would capture 35.6 percent of the vote. Liberals would get 28.3 percent. That is a seven point spread. NDP in third at 20.7%, followed by the Bloc, the Green Party, and the People's Party of Canada. Nick Nanos is chief data scientist and founder of Nanos Research and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Nick, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning to you, too. A seven-point
4: lead. Well, 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 what do you make of this? I don't know. I guess if you're part of the red team, you're probably, uh, it's Happy New Year. I'm clutching my chest, you know, with the conservatives right now in the Nanos Weekly tracking at around 36%. If, if that number sounds familiar, it should, because Stephen Harper won a couple of elections with 36%, of the, 36% support with the NDP in the low 20s. So I think for the Liberals, what they have to worry about is that this trend that has emerging, if it consolidates, it'll make for a very rocky 2023 for Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberal Party.
0: Not only that, but we have some uh, top issues in this country that are hot button issues, but would engage voters to go to the polls, and that would be healthcare, inflation, uh, the environment,
4: all those things yep. top of mind. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is that healthcare as a national issue of concern, it's at the top of the list right now. Uh, usually is quite good for the new Democrats who, after all, under Tommy Douglas brought us public health care, but also is usually good for the liberals. It's not usually good for the conservatives, but, you know, inflation, the rising cost of living, people struggling to pay the rent, pay the mortgage, pay for groceries, usually helps the conservatives. So right now, when we look at the issue environment, expect the liberals to try to deliver something on health care. And then for the federal conservatives, Pierre Poiliev, expect him to, continue to focus on meat and potatoes issues, because when he talks about people struggling to pay the bills, his numbers go up.
0: Uh, Of note, though, and this is interesting, the preferred PM, the preferred prime minister among this uh, polling results is that Trudeau is still number one. What what does that tell you about how he's doing and how Mr. Polyev's doing?
4: Well, he's number one numerically because he's at around 30 percent, while Pierre Polyev is at around 28 percent. But the margin of Mudrin error for the survey is plus or minus 3%. So statistically, it's a tie. The bad news for Pierre Poiliev is, think of it this way, his party's ahead by seven points in the survey. He's behind by two points numerically, uh, Trudeau. That means that right now, the gains that the Conservatives have made are not necessarily because of Pierre Poiliev. They're probably more a result of disaffection, and disenchantment with the federal liberals where voters are drifting to parties, such as the New Democrats, even the Green Party right now.
0: That makes a lot of sense. We've got about a minute uh, to go here. Will Mr. Trudeau get any kind of boost when he hosts Joe Biden, the president of the U.S., this coming spring?
4: Well, usually uh, prime ministers do get a boost whenever the president of the United States shows up. But, and this is this is a big proviso, He has to deliver on something. Like, it's nice to get together and say that we're all friends. But what Canadians want to hear about is how is the binational relationship being improved? How are economies becoming stronger? So Trudeau has to, yes, shake hands and have smiles. But he has to deliver on something with Biden. Don't know what, but he's got to do something on that.
0: Sounds about right. Nick, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. McNano's chief data scientist and the founder of Nanos Research, polling being done by Nanos. If an election were held today, Pierre Polyev's conservatives would get 35.6 percent of the vote. The liberals, 28.3 percent, a seven-point spread.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: From a federal political perspective, uh, the prime minister is going to be in town next week, not only... Will Justin Trudeau be here, but his entire cabinet will be here because they are holding a cabinet retreat in Hamilton. They'll be at the Hamilton Convention Center next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And there is uh, a lot of big things on the agenda. Rising cost of living, high on the agenda. How to make life a little bit easier for Canadians. And it should be high on the agenda. CHML reporter Lisa Pileski spoke yesterday with Philomena Tassi, the Liberal MP for Hamilton West, Ancaster-Dundas, and Minister of the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario, about the upcoming
5: retreat. Really delighted that Hamilton is the host to this retreat. Um, We have to roll up our sleeves and have some serious significant conversations about priorities engaging with canadians is so important and and all of us in caucus have been doing that so that we can uh, come together as a cabinet and to really discuss the priorities there are a number of issues on the agenda that we know are important to Canadians. Cost of living and affordability is is I would think uh, among the top issues across this country people are feeling the pinch we want to ensure that we continue to deliver for Canadians to ensure that uh, they're not only living but they they also have some enjoyment in life but there are many other uh, priorities including housing health care the environment so a lot of issues on this agenda. I can tell you as Minister for uh, Southern Ontario, for the uh, Fed Dev Southern Ontario, that economic development and job growth is extremely important. So all these issues, we will be rolling up our sleeves and getting down to the hard work to determine... Uh, how we are going to move forward in order uh, that preserves and elevates the best interests of Canadians.
0: CHML's Lisa Pileski also asked Liberal MP Philomena Tassi about the, an announcement yesterday at McMaster University in regards to an investment to support research projects through what's called the Canadian Institutes of Health Research Clinical Trials Fund.
5: Today's announcement is part of a, uh, the biomanufacturing and life science strategy, which is a $2.2 billion commitment that the government made. Today's announcement is $131 million investment in, the, in what is called the Clinical Trials Fund.
3: And can you kind of break down the uh, $131 million and basically say what that's going towards?
5: Yes. So there's $39 million going towards a Pan-Canadian Trials Consortium. This is really going to uh, impact or assist 232 researchers to expand, expand their clinical trials, uh, improve collaboration, efficiency, knowledge sharing. And um, uh, this is led by Dr. PJ Devereaux, right here at McMaster. Then the second investment is the clinical trials training platforms. This is a $32 million investment, and that's for seven platforms to train the next generation of clinical scientists and researchers, really to fill gaps. Um, and um, you know the areas here specifically are like strokes, uh, behavioral change, and then general clinical research and the last the third area is 60 million dollars for clinical trials projects this one is very exciting because if you look at some of these clinical trial projects i'll highlight one that's taking place right here at mcmaster and that is the inhaled aerosol vaccine dr smale is leading this she talked about this this can be game changing because if you think of being able to um, administer a vaccine through um, inhaling that vaccine. Just think of the transformational change this will have. And what I would say overall about this is this is actually focused on changing, um, making healthcare better and more effective across this country. Canada, we want to put Canada in the forefront. We have the expertise. We want to ensure that the healthcare across this country is excellent. These investments are going to help that research, facilitate that collaboration, so that at the end of the day, the therapeutics, the treatments, we're really making the investments to bring them to the to the, to the best that they can possibly be. So at the end of the day, we know healthcare care is extremely important for Canadians. We're hearing that more and more. Um, and so this investment is really going to elevate uh, Canada's space in this, making the investments to ensure that treatments, therapies, and the like are going to re- reach that level of excellence to make healthcare for all Canadians easier and better. And so it was kind of, you know, mentioned that it's it's basically getting a jump start on, you know, if
3: there are future pandemics or things like that because we didn't when COVID came along, we weren't really prepared. We didn't really have any idea of what to do. So just wondering if you can touch on the fact that, you know, this is essentially preparing for another worst-case scenario.
5: Yes. So it's not only elevating health care overall to bring that to a different level and, you know, there's specific uh, items here that are being funded like blood cancer treatment, pneumonia treatment, gene therapy, and more. But it is absolutely the point that you are making also to prepare for future pandemics. We want to ensure that we are ready. I'm really um, uh, proud of the work that McMaster is doing in this area. In fact, McMaster is putting together a proposal for a global nexus program. What this would do is it would really position us so that as we look to the future and um, um, you know, our, uh, look to the potential of future pandemics, that this puts us in a way where we are prepared for those pandemics. And McMaster, the uniqueness of McMaster is that McMaster has taken a leadership role in this prior to pandemics. I remember being in Ottawa and hosting McMaster when they came and they were talking about antimicrobial resistance and, you know, combating antimicrobial, uh, cre- ensuring that we have the right research so that we can um, address these um, influenza's these bugs these things that are coming and so McMaster really is at the forefront of this they are at least a decade ahead of the game in this research today's announcements as was announced over 61 million dollars is going directly to McMaster I'm working very closely with the team here to try and ensure that the investments uh, that these investments um, and others are going to help us assist to prepare for pandemics and more so you're absolutely right It's about um, ensuring that as health emergencies and pandemics arise, that we are able to address those in a way that's prepared, that's efficient, uh, and take all the expertise. We've heard that today. The collaboration is critical, the teamwork is critical, and we want to bring all Canadians together so that we are putting our best foot forward in ensuring that we are getting ahead of, um, of any future health challenges. That
0: is CHML's Lisa Pileski in conversation with Liberal MP Philomena Tassi, who is the Liberal MP for Hamilton, West Ancaster, Dundas, also the Minister of the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We have a very special guest on the show today, uh, and he's tied to a very successful off Broadway run in New York City. It's a it had a 70 show off Broadway run in fact. Uh international sensation. It's called Hiprov Improv Under Hypnosis and it's coming to Canada. The Canadian tour is going to include 18 cities. It begins in Halifax February 3rd. Uh closer to home here it's going to be in Brantford on February the 15th at the Sanderson Center. We're very excited to welcome to the show Colin Mockery, the co-creator, the co-star of Hiprov Improv Under Hypnosis. Colin, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. This show has been a huge hit. You've received rave reviews. And, uh, you know, the beauty of it is that every show is different because you don't know what's going to happen.
6: That is the beauty. I mean, um, not only is uh, is the content different, but so are the performers every night. So that makes it uh, doubly interesting.
0: How did you come up with the thought of, let's combine improv, which is very unpredictable, with hypnosis, which is very unpredictable.
6: It was actually Assad uh, Meki, the uh, hypnotist. He was taking classes at Second City, and he realized that what the instructors were teaching them was to sort of uh, shut off the self-criticism in your brain and just go with unconscious comedy. And he does that through hypnosis. So he thought, oh, I wonder if there's a way where um, we can combine the two. So he contacted me. It sounded terrifying and insane. So I said, sure, <laughs> what the heck? Um, and then we did it. And it still shocks me, but it, it, it worked out because, you know, we, we didn't have a chance to rehearse. The first time we did it was the first time we did it. So um, it, I, I'm glad it, it it did work out. It's been a, a lot of fun.
0: I see that Assad is trying to join the uh, the waiting room as well. I didn't know he was going to be involved in this, but let's bring him in if you don't mind.
6: No, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Might as well. Hello, hey Asad, how are you? Good. How you doing, Rick? Not too bad. I'm glad you've uh, you've stopped on in. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I've already
6: said all your stuff. Yeah, it's so it's like pretty God. much taken care of, Asad. I've done no. the second city stuff. <laughs> it's all done.
7: You're stealing my lines? Yeah, You're stealing my lines, Colin. Is that how it goes down? Basically. All right.
0: Uh, but we were just we were just talking to Saad that, uh, you know, Colin has this superpower of improv. You have this superpower of hypnosis and you're combining these superpowers. How exciting, how nervous, how amazing has this been?
7: Every night's a comedy high wire act, Rick. We have no idea what's going to happen. We bring up 20 volunteers. We don't know them. We've never met them before. I hypnotize them and then Colin improvises with them. Anything can happen. It's wild, it's wacky. And above all else, it's hilarious because we've got Colin Lockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway improvising with people who are hypnotized who he's never met before.
0: You can get your tickets, by the way, at hyprov.com, hiprov.com. Colin, part of the allure, uh, the enjoyment about this show is is the unknown. You know, no one knows what's going to happen next. Is there a tiny shred in your soul that you think uh,
6: this could go off the rails at any point? Oh, it's not even a tiny shred. It's a (laughs) full-grown shred Uh, at (laughs) any point. Anything can go wrong. Uh, But that's what makes it uh, wonderful. Even when things do go off the rails a bit, it's still exciting because it gives me something to work with. There would be nothing worse than if... It just, if nothing was happening, because that means I have to somehow work overtime, involve everybody. But these people, while they're in a hypnotic state, have become true improvisers. So they're fueling the scenes with incredible ideas, ideas which um, at times confound me, but still (laughs) gives me something to work with, which is a lot of fun.
0: We're going to have Colin Mockery and Asad Mekki the co-creators and co-stars of Hiprov, Improv Under Hypnosis, hang on for a few minutes and we'll rejoin with them in a few minutes time to talk about this show, what they get people to do. You can get your tickets at Hiprov.com. That's H-Y-P-R-O-V dot com.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The great Colin Mockery,
0: co-creator, co-star of Hiprov, Improv Under Hypnosis and the hypnotist himself, Asad Mekhi. Asad, how are you able to keep your brainwaves going, so to speak, with so many people on stage, so many people under your hypnotizing powers, while also trying to be an entertainer as well?
7: Let me tell you, some nights it's a bit of a rough ride, let me tell you, (laughs) Rick. Okay, I can barely keep up. So, 20 volunteers come up on stage, and people ask me all the time, Well, how do you know somebody's hypnotized? So, I'm constantly calibrating them, so watching for physiological feedback. So, I'm looking for changes in rate location of respiration, so breathing changes, skin color changes, skin tonus changes. There's actually a shyness and dullness to the skin, vasodilation, so the capillaries become engorged. So, I'm looking for a checklist. If I see that physiological feedback, then I'll keep the people on stage. If I don't, I'll send them back. So tracking 20 volunteers at the beginning and then whittling it down to the top five, I'm amazed that I'm able to, to stay in the game some nights so right
6: i have to say, out of the two of us he he can't rest at any point because people go in and out of trance throughout the the night and he's wow. there to make sure that they're um on, on top of it so i really have the easy job i'm just making up crap he has to, have to <laughs> sell all the science <laughs> it's We're really interesting with- rick yeah it's
7: really it's really interesting rick because people are constantly cycling in and out of trance states all the time you cycle in and out of a trance state about four, four times an hour daydreaming. You can actually watch people as you're talking to them. You could see them start to – their eyes start to defocus. They kind of look through you, not at you, mm-hmm. and you're thinking to yourself, wait a second. Is this person actually paying attention to what I'm saying? Trance state it happens all the time.
0: I just got the sense that you were trying to hypnotize me right there. I, I, it was kind of working, to be honest. What do you mean by that, Rick? <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> Colin, how close have you come to just losing it on stage and just bursting out in laughter with some of the things that Assad is making these people do and and, and then you're improvising?
6: Um, Yeah, Uh, there have been a a few times where I'm just uh, taken totally by surprise by what they're doing. I mean, we basically give them simple suggestions. So Assad will say, In this scene, you're madly in love with Colin. You have to propose to him, and (laughs) and that's it. Then it's up to them to find a way to do that, and the way they do it is, um, (laughs) I have to tell you, I've never seen so much love in people's eyes. And sure, they're (laughs) hypnotized. Okay, fine, but still, there are times I'm feeling so bad, I feel like I'm leading these people on when I accept (laughs) their proposal because I know it's never going to work out. (laughs) Have you come close to saying yes? I've said yes every time. <laughs> um, it's, it's worked out. What We had a dicey situation once when I had said yes. And then the person who was proposing to me noticed I had a wedding ring. Oh. And so I had to immediately come up with some story as to why I had this wedding ring on. So. Um, I love the fact there's at no point do Assad and I relax during the show because there's always something coming at us.
0: You can get your tickets to hip. improv under hypnosis online at hiprov.com. That's H Y P R O V.com. Asad, how much fun have you had
7: doing this? Oh, it's i uh, I'm having the time of my life here, Rick. It's incredible. I get a front row seat to the best comedy in the world. I get to see Colin mockery from whose line is it anyway, pitched into scenes with random people who are hypnotized it is hysterical. Sometimes I catch myself because I'm so entranced with what I'm watching that I forget what the next setup is because Colin is making not only o- the audience laugh, but I'm also howling on stage and it's hard to keep it together.
0: Same question for you, Colin. How much fun are you having with us?
6: It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I really enjoy this show. I, I, as we said earlier, it, every night is different every night um what they give me to play with is so random so outside of what i would usually get with you know quote unquote seasoned uh, improvisers mm. that it's um i and i think it's really helped me with my my improv so i'm thankful for it and i enjoy it i love it
0: Well, we can't wait to see it here in uh, across Canada, really. It starts in Halifax on February the 3rd, comes to Brantford February 15th, so many places in between. Best of luck with the show. I know it's going to be an absolute here here in uh, our nation, and uh, good luck going forward. Thanks for joining us today.
6: Thanks, Rick.
0: Thanks, Rick. Colin Mockery and Asad Meki, co-creators and co-stars of Hiprov, Improv under hypnosis. Thanks to both those gentlemen for joining me here today. The New York Times calls it the audience erupted in laughter. It kills a review from the Wall Street Journal. Catnip for those who relish spontaneity and informality. Say yes to hip says the New Yorker, also calling it hilarious and fascinating. And it it looks like an unbelievable show. And it was created here in Canada, 2016, Toronto's Second City, and it is still going strong. So if you're interested in, in a fun night out, and who knows, you might you might get hypnotized and brought up onto the stage. Uh, tickets at hiprov.com, HYPROV, shows in Brantford at the Sanderson Center on February 15th. It goes to the Rose Brampton Theater on February 16th. Oakville's Center for Performing Hearts on February 17th, and in Guelph at the River Run Center on February the 23rd. It is an outstanding show.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Mama Yolanda's lasagna,
1: that's a mouthful, and a tasty
0: one at that, is a finalist in the second annual Ontario Made Awards. It's been running from December 6th to January 8th, at least the voting portion has been going, and people have been voting for their favorite manufacturer and retailer in four different award categories. 17,000 votes uh, for 12 finalists, which are now moving on to the last round of judging for these awards, where a panel of industry experts is going to select winners in each of these four categories. And Mama Yolanda's lasagna Is in the mix. JC Campos is the executive director of Mercanti Specialty Foods, the maker of Mama Yolanda's lasagna, and joins us now. JC, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. You are a finalist in the Consumer Awareness Award category, along with Paz Bakery
8: and Top Shelf Canada. This is pretty cool. It is. We are so excited about this. This is the second annual uh, uh, awards uh, that they're doing. And uh, we're up for an award, and we're really excited about it. We're really thankful for everybody who supported us and voted. And uh, now we're down to the wire here. What's the story
0: behind Mama Yolanda's lasagna?
8: Well, uh, the story uh, dates back to uh, 1988 when Carmen's Banquet Center uh, opened, opened its doors. And one of the things that uh, Carmen's Banquet Center uh, served up at uh, their many events, be it uh, weddings Uh, uh, special events like that, uh, was lasagna. And that lasagna recipe dates back seven generations. Uh, Peter Mercanti, the founder of Carmen's, his mother's recipe was something that uh, his family uh, just loved, and they brought it over from uh, back when it was Carmen's Bakery to Carmen's Banquet Center. And that recipe has just been served since 1988 uh, to countless weddings, uh, special events and uh, and uh, some of those special events we had famous people like uh, Al Pacino Sylvester Stallone uh, presidents uh, Bill Clinton and George uh, Bush senior uh, th- that lasagna was served at events like that and uh, we even have a cool story where Al Pacino when he came to Carmen's back in 2010 uh, he loved the lasagna so much that he uh, he asked that that lasagna be shipped over to New York until his uh, dietary restrictions changed. Uh, we were sending that lasagna over to him. And uh, and then in 2015, when Peter uh, retired and uh, passed his business on to his two sons, PJ and Joe Mercanti, uh, Peter retired for about two weeks and then uh, came back and said, uh, you know what, I want to give this a shot. And uh, Mercanti Specialty Foods was born and uh and mommy yolanda's became uh and yolanda being peter's mother's name by the way uh mommy yolanda's uh entered the uh, retail space in 2016 and ever since then we've been uh we've been uh making this lasagna for grocery stores in their freezer department and uh we've just been uh we've just been going on a tear uh getting this lasagna into grocery stores across Ontario.
0: It is a tasty lasagna. There's no doubt about it. JC Campos is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. JC is the executive director of Mercanti Specialty Foods, the maker of Mama Yolanda's lasagna, which is up for an award at the second annual Ontario Made Awards. The Al Pacino story. How much
8: lasagna per shipment would you send to him? Well, it would be a tray of lasagna that would be shipped over. And (laughs) uh, and, uh, shipping uh, lasagna... Uh, to New York uh, isn't that that, uh, easy, so uh, it would be one at a time. Wow, that is pretty cool. And Mama Yolanda is a real person. Uh, Mama Yolanda is a real person, Uh, God rest her soul. Uh, uh, Peter Mercanti's mother, Yolanda Mercanti, uh, like I said, she brought that. we, We like to say that that lasagna recipe came over on a boat because they actually immigrated to Canada on a boat. <laughs> How can people vote and is there a voting deadline? Uh the voting voting's all done, but people can uh can pay attention to what's going on by visiting the Ontario Made uh, website. Okay. And and that's as easy as going to uh ontariomade.ca. And uh February 22nd uh, will be the award ceremony. That'll be when we find out uh if we won. And uh this is uh this is an award where we leverage uh Uh, consumer awareness with uh, the Ontario made uh, logo on our products and uh, signage at the stores. And uh, we're proud to be uh, making this lasagna here in Hamilton. And uh, now it's being enjoyed across Ontario.
0: Mama Yolanda's lasagna is a finalist for the Consumer Awareness Award. What do you win? Is it simply recognition? Do you get a trophy? Do you get something special?
8: Well, it's recognition, and uh, there is uh, some sort of uh, trophy. Uh, I'm thinking that uh, they sent to us, and we're uh, we're really hoping uh, that uh, we get to put that plaque up here at our uh, facility here on Nebo Road, uh, where we make the lasagnas. And uh, like I said, we're proud to be making this in Hamilton. Peter Mercanti uh, is a is uh, someone who loves Hamilton and always wants to highlight the fact that Hamilton is a place of great things, and we make great lasagna.
0: So, JC, I want, I want you to weigh in on this debate, because as a lasagna lover, as a lasagna connoisseur, I've always had this debate with family and friends. Is lasagna best eaten when it's cooked that day or the day after? The leftover lasagna some people lead me to believe is better than the first time around.
8: Well, I'm going to use the story that, uh, that uh, comes uh, from my home, uh, my brother-in-law. Uh, he uh, loves it when uh, my sister makes the lasagna that night, but he loves it even more when there's the leftovers to take to work the next day. And he <laughs> says he takes that lasagna, microwaves it at work for lunch, and he thinks it's actually better than when it was first baked. So uh, there, there, there are differing uh, opinions. Uh, if you were to ask, if you were to ask an Italian, they want it right out of the oven. I hear you. I, I
0: think this. I think it's the sensation of having lasagna a second time, and you're excited to eat it again, and you think it tastes better. But I think it's best out of the oven, fresh, hot, uh, and the way it's supposed to be eaten. On that note, we are out of time. I wish you uh, the best of luck at the second annual Ontario Made Awards, and uh, hopefully we can bring this title back to Hamilton. You guys are making an awesome product, and it's, it's right here in this uh, amazing city of ours. Thanks for joining us, JC. Thank you very much. J.C. Campos, Executive Director, Mercanti Specialty Foods, the maker of Mama Yolanda's Lasagna. You can get it in your favorite grocery store Up for an award at the second annual Ontario
1: Made Awards. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900 CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.